Well, I've been away on retreat uh, this week with a group of uh, men that I meet with once a year around this time. And uh, Sally was uh, with our son and our daughter-in-law preparing for their first child uh, that's arriving any day now. So uh, nurseries were being made ready and baby showers and all that kind of thing. Uh, it's not that I don't like those kinds of things, but uh, it just so happened that uh, I was called away to other things. And uh, on the way back, I was uh, reminded of that uh, little statement that I made last week about Ohio weather kind of <laughs> creeping up on you. Uh, because it was like the beginning of the flood last night. I don't know if there's anybody out in that, but it meant that the normal you know, seven-hour journey where you're jolly and listening to the music and chatting to one another turned into a 10-hour endurance test, uh, most of which was in the rain. But we're here, and we're delighted to be here with you this morning. And today we're going to complete our excursion through covenant and kingdom. Next week we'll do a kind of summary of what it is that we've looked at together so that as we navigate passages of Scripture on into the future, we'll have a kind of reference as to the major themes and how it is that all of the themes of Scripture, as it were, organise themselves around these two great themes of covenant and kingdom, relationship and responsibility. We've looked at covenant, and in these last few weeks, we've been looking at kingdom. And as we've done that, we've noted that kingdom has a word. It has a way. And there are works of the kingdom. We, uh, we looked at the way of the kingdom, the way of the king, the low path, the journey through humility to authority. And remember, we looked particularly at the life of Joseph and saw that as a type of the life of Christ and therefore a model for ourselves. We looked at the way in which the Word interacts with our life and how it is that God continues to speak to us. He speaks to us intimately, within our very being, articulating his love, indicating guidance. And as we immerse ourselves in the written word, so those whispered words in our hearts make sense. It's as though we need the phrase book of heaven. We need the scriptures to fully interpret and understand what it is that God is speaking to us in our hearts every day. And today we're going to look at the works of the kingdom. The kingdom comes with a preparation. And that preparation is, is quite simple. It is to return, return to the king or turn to the king. There is a proclamation And the proclamation is, God is going to win. There is a demonstration. 
of that proclamation. And so therefore, the demonstration is that God is going to win. There is a dedication, which means that we commit ourselves as warriors in that battle that God will win. And there is, of course, a consummation when Jesus returns. God is going to win. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, in the hearts and minds of the people that first heard that, they heard that there was a king greater than the kingship, greater than the empire, greater than the manifestations of human authority and power that they saw around them. They, they heard that Jesus was saying that the king was on his way to take on all that stood against him and declare victory over all of those opponents. And so the ideas behind the kingdom of God is near might be something like this. God is going to win and he's going to win soon. God's going to win. Poverty's not going to win. God's going to win. Sickness is not going to win. God's going to win. Suffering that's not going to win. God's going to win. Sin is not going to win. God's going to win. And what God says through Jesus in all that he taught and all that he said is that the day is coming when what we see in the world will be inverted. And those who assume that in their arrogance they can stand against God's counsel, God's guidance, God's will, God's mercy, love and generosity, all those that believe they can stand against that will find that not only are they wrong, but now they're on the wrong side and they're on the losing side. God's gonna win. Now when it comes to the works of the kingdom, of course, Jesus is intending to show us a demonstration of the proclamation. And so when he, he feeds the hungry, it's a demonstration that in heaven, there is no want. There is always provision. Jesus is, of course, the portal to heaven. He is the gateway to heaven. He's the one who has received the Holy Spirit without measure and he has not left him, but has remained upon him. And because of that, there is a continuous connection between what is in heaven and what is here on earth. And so when we encounter Jesus, we encounter what it is that we will know that we will find in heaven. And so Jesus teaches his disciples to say, Daddy, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And what is your will? Well, we know what your will is because you've declared what your will is in heaven. There is no suffering. There is no pain. There is no sadness. There is no Satan. 
There is none of those things in heaven. And so we ask you to visit us with the demonstration of that truth so that we have a window into heaven and so that as we make the journey, we're encouraged along the way. Now to dedicate yourself to this means that you dedicate yourself to seeking God's victory now while we wait for the great consummation. The day is coming when the struggle will be over. The day is drawing near when victory will be declared. And that day is one day closer today than it was yesterday. Already, we can hear the birds singing, heralding that dawn is about to arrive. Already, we can anticipate a sense of the new day dawning. We have been visited with the powers of the coming age. And because of that, we're drawn to the coming age and we commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to the overcoming of all that would stand against God, His mercy, His will, and His grace. And so as warriors of the King, warrior women, warrior men, we commit ourselves to look for that victory. We work alongside the broken. We, we come alongside the different disenfranchised and marginalised. We come to those who the world says will not receive the blessings of life. And we demonstrate to them that the king is a king of love and the day is coming when they will be victorious even as he brings the victory. Now, of course, those are truths that are declared throughout the whole of the New Testament and have been declared down through the centuries by countless Christians in countless contexts in every culture that we can imagine. But the thing that we sometimes forget is that the battle is not simply out there, but is right here. The battle is right here. The battle to come to terms with the fact that forgiveness has been freely given will, will rend our hearts because we struggle to see the victory of the declaration of there being no condemnation and that we're totally forgiven and free. And that battle goes on inside of us right now, doesn't it? If we're normal. Because every so often, one of those memories bubbles up from who knows where. And we go, oh, what have I done? And so the battle is within us, not simply outside of us. And then there are days when we struggle with sickness. Of course we do. Our world is a broken world. Our world is manifesting the effects of the fall. And we, of course, are caught in the same realities as everyone else. And so we struggle and we say, Lord, give us the bread of your children, which is healing. Healing. 
and we pray for our children and we pray for our spouses and we pray for ourselves and our friends and the members of our house churches. And the struggle seems very difficult on so many occasions. And foolishly, foolishly, we will somehow load up the warriors with greater burdens still and somehow blame them for not being healed. There's nothing worse when you're in the midst of a battle to hear it's your fault that you're losing. And if you read the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus never says that. He never says that. You see, here's the thing. If you wrestle with sickness your entire life and you die of the sickness against which you have wrestled, from the perspective of heaven, you're honored as a warrior and greeted as a hero. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You see, that's, that's the way that you, that you see the very ministry of Jesus, the, the texture of his ministry among us, the tone of what it was that he said and the way in which he interacted with people who were broken and struggling. He had a few things to say to his disciples who hadn't faith for healing. But to those that were wrestling, it was always a word of encouragement. And so, as you wrestle this day, as you struggle this day with people around you who are suffering and sick, and you know in your heart, because God has put eternity into the hearts of every person, you know in your heart that this is not right. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to know that sickness is wrong. Because you look at it and you say, I don't think this is right. I don't think human beings are supposed to be like this. Because God has put eternity into our hearts. He's given us, even those who don't know him, he's given us a sliver of revelation of what it is that we're supposed to be. And of course, those of us who know him know that the day is coming when all of that will be gone. And so we say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done today. Show us your kingdom. Let us see it, Lord. Jesus says, the kingdom is coming. And he also says, but the kingdom is delayed somehow. Now, he doesn't explain the delay. He just says, you know, it's like this. He says, there are these girls there, they're waiting for the, the bridegroom and, and some of them are ready and some of them aren't and they've got their lamps burning and, and they've got enough to welcome the bridegroom when he arrives and he, he comes really late and half of them haven't got enough and it, it, you get this sense that Jesus is saying look this is not going to be easy 
waiting for the kingdom, waiting for the full consummation, waiting for the full manifestation is not going to be easy. This is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle of your life. It's going to require preparation in your heart and the hearts of others to be able to go through the difficulty. But it will come and he will arrive and the day will change. And whilst we wait, we ask God to reveal what will be. Now, I mean, I know what it's like. You know, most, most Christians, you know, they may even hear that on a Sunday, but most Christians are not trained to understand how to engage with that kind of worldview, that kingdom worldview. They're not trained to heal the sick or to stand alongside the broken and all of that. I understand that. I, I, I realise that very often the practicalities of these things are lost to us. And so this morning, we are going to have a little kingdom clinic. There's going to be three or four people in the congregation for sure who today are wrestling with sickness of some kind or another. And um, I'm going to ask them graciously to allow us to pray with them. And I'm going to teach you how to pray with them the way that Jesus prayed with people in the gospel. Okay? So there's no box of snakes anywhere. Amen. Yeah? I'm not going to throw a cloak over anybody. I'm almost certainly not going to change my accent. And I probably won't get very weird. I'm, I'm moderately weird already, you know that. But I'm, you know, I'm an Englishman. I find it all a bit kind of difficult if it gets a bit emotional. But you're allowed to be who you are. I'm just telling you who I am. But we're going to get there in a minute. And um, for each person that comes up to be prayed for, I want three or four volunteers to come up. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that you're lab rats or guinea pigs or anything. I'm saying you get the chance to have a go this morning. Yeah, we'll just do it. We'll do it exactly the way that Jesus demonstrates the ministry of healing in the, in the Gospels. Everybody good with that? Yeah. Two people good with it? Yeah. A bit more. Okay, great. We've got about 20, 25 people, so other people. You, you don't want to kind of commit because you're thinking, he's going to pick me. I know he is. I will pick you eventually. But only if you're an elder. <laughs> Just joking. All right. So let's look at the scriptures together so that we have a kind of an undergirding of what it is that the Lord wants to say to us today. Let's look at Matthew 28 and verse 18. Surely we know where that is. The end of the first gospel in the New Testament. Jesus is about to return to heaven and these are his final words recorded by Matthew in his gospel. Jesus gets to say several things as he's returning and they're recorded for us in the other gospels too. But this is how Matthew recalls the event where he was an eyewitness. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. Great, so there's the end of the gospel. And uh, we've kind of covered everything. Good. Is that all right? Everybody good with that? That's the Great Commission, isn't it? Make disciples, make them Baptists. (laughs) And then we're good, aren't we? But there's this one other verse. Oh, dear. It messes everything up. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What does it mean for Jesus to tell his first disciples to train the next generation of disciples everything he taught them to do? It means the first disciples trained the next generation of disciples how to heal the sick. At minimum. 60% of Mark's gospel is the healing ministry of Jesus. Over a half. Is it over a half of what we do in house church? On Sundays, we're not even close. We'll say it was only 10%. Well, still, we're nowhere near 10%. Jesus was healing people all the time. There were so many healings. But I mean, John says at the end of his book, he says, Jesus did so many things that if we wrote them all down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. So this is going on all of the time. And he's teaching his disciples to do it. Matthew 10, Mark 6, Luke 9, he sends out the 12 and he says, heal the sick. And they go, okay. And then they come back and they say, yay, it was awesome. And you say, yeah, but I mean, it's the 12. I mean, who's gonna stand with Peter and who's gonna stand with John? I mean, surely they're they're sitting in heaven on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We're not in that category, surely. Well, unfortunately for us, In Luke 10, he sends out 72 unnamed disciples. Just 72 others. And by the time you get to the Acts of the Apostles, people are healing the sick who have never been even spoken of in the Gospels. It was a normal thing for people to do. It's not because they were Pentecostals or Charismatics. It wasn't because they'd lost lost their Baptist roots. It was nothing to do with that. And it really has nothing to do with what your opinion is about certain passages of the Bible that refer to the gifts and ministries of the Spirit. It's simply this. Do you believe that Jesus trained his first disciples to heal the sick? If he did, then we're supposed to learn it. Good? Good. So how did he do it? Let's have a look. We'll just take a couple of examples because obviously there are hundreds of them. Uh, Let's go to Mark's Gospel, graphic novel of the New Testament. It gives us the kind of, it gives us the touch and the texture of these things. Let's go to Mark chapter seven and verse 31. 
Uh, Just to place it in context, Jesus has sent out his disciples, they've come back, and there are vast crowds of people clamoring to get close to Jesus because they've heard from the disciples the message of the kingdom and they've seen it demonstrated in the people that they have healed. And so there are so many people they can't even eat. And Jesus says, we need to get away. And so they try to get away. They have to feed 5,000 people along the way. They walk on water on their journey. And eventually they get out of the land of Israel and they go to another country so that Jesus can be on retreat with them. That's why it says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, that's outside of Israel, and went through Sidon, back down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis, which is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, miles away from all of the crowds that have been following them around. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on the man. So obviously, even in these cities that would be on the border between Israel and Jordan and would be both Jordan and Israel today, They've even heard of what it is that Jesus is doing. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, Ephaphtha, which means be open. That's Aramaic. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Okay, so let's just have a look at what it was that Jesus was doing. Jesus was looking for the revelation of the kingdom. And he even physically shows us what's going on all the time. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 19, that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And so he's with this man. He's with all of the people who are clamoring to see Jesus heal him. He's with this man and he looks up to heaven. Now Jesus has told us When you pray, pray like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we have a sense already of what it is that's going on in the heart of Jesus. And Jesus looks up to heaven and it's as though he hears his father whisper, just say be opened. And in Aramaic he says, If we'd have said that, somebody would say, bless you. (laughs) If after, be opened. Now, revelation of the kingdom, of course, is what we're looking for, it's longing for, both in the particular and in the general. But as, as well as this, there is the person in front of us. And it is remarkable how tender, how sweet, how kind Jesus is to every person that he meets. There's no bombast 
There's no arrogance. There's no striding around a stage in a, in a colourful suit. This is not Jesus drawing attention to himself. This is Jesus coming alongside the broken and the needy. How would a deaf and a mute man understand what he was doing? Only by touch. And so he puts his fingers in his ears. And in those days, of course, there was the sense that the people with the powers, the gifts of healing, had it throughout their whole body. And so there was this sense that there was something efficacious about a person's spittle. Don't think that that's still the case today. But you could do a great sermon on the spitting ministry of Jesus. Couldn't you? I mean, it's amazing when you go through, you know. I, I often think to myself, you know, there's Jesus, he's going along the street with the guys and he gets a, a fly caught in the back of his throat and he goes, and immediately the disciples are going, watch out, boys, he's going to heal somebody. <laughs> so he touches the man's tongue with spittle. What's, what's all this, what is all of this? It is connecting with the person in such a way that is appropriate. It's building a relationship of trust. It's dealing with the tender brokenness of a person and stepping into their life with humility and with kindness and demonstrating that you're there for them and with them. You see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Very often we'll pray for people and they won't be healed. But if every time they go away, they know they're loved, then the king has been honoured. And there's great blessing that's been shared. Do I get an amen to that? Do you see what I'm saying here? It's so important. Jesus builds a relationship quickly, effectively, efficiently, but he's connecting with this man. And then, of course, he represents He represents the king. He represents the kingdom. He is as it were, the regent representing the king who many believe is not present. So that's what we do when we pray for the sick. We ask for God to come near. We ask that his Holy Spirit would, would connect us to the kingdom so that we see the signs and the wonders of the kingdom now so that God would open the window into heaven so that there is a testimony in the person's heart that we're praying for and the friends and family that they know so that they can see the kingdom come. Years ago, Sally and I were working in a small, very underprivileged under-resourced community in the inner city of London and we were just training the congregation to do the same kinds of things so that they could go home and pray with their children and, and the 
wives could pray with their husbands and the husbands could pray with their wives and friends could pray with friends. And we got some people up and, you know, we're, we're English people, so there's nothing kind of weird or strange going on. And we're just going through the steps of it and Sally is leading one of the groups. And as she's leading one of the groups, the girl that she's praying for, who has just removed the metal caliper from her arm because she has a withered arm, falls over. And I look across at Sally and I go, what are you doing? (laughs) Hoping that no one else will see. And she went, never touched her. (laughs) Now, I don't know what all of that is, but some people react to the presence and the power of God in different ways. It's not God doing it to them. It's just the way that they're reacting. I was putting the washing machine into a previous house here in the States. And in England, we have 220 volts going through all of the appliances. But here, it's only going through the washing machine, apparently. I don't know why. Um, but um, but the, the plug wouldn't go into the wall. And it's, you know, it's got two prongs on the, on, the, on the thing. And so I thought the best thing to do was to hold the two prongs and then and then push it into the plug hole. It's a work of genius on my part. Because, you know, I'm like this. Well, I, I wasn't, it wasn't the electricity that was doing that to me. It was my body reacting to it. See what I mean? And so this young girl, she just, she just fell down. And I went over to her and I said, are you all right? She said, yes, I'm fine. I said, would you like to get up now? This is the Church of England. (laughs) And she said, I can't. I said, you can't? I thought you said you were all right. She said, I'm fine, I just can't move. So they all gathered around, prayed for her. Now she's got a withered arm. And um, she gets up and she says, I think I'm healed. And of course, you know, I'm trying to be pastoral and I say, well, you know, probably ought to check with the doctor on that one. And um, which I think made her think that maybe I wasn't as faith-filled as maybe she was. Well, the next morning she was washing her hair and she could only ever lift one hand to wash her hair. And she was looking in the mirror to, to kind of get it right, but she was doing this. And she screamed. The people's house that she was staying in thought that something terrible had happened and she hastily dressed herself and rushed round to the parsonage. I mean, I don't know whether she was barefoot, but she got round their hairs wet. She said, look, my arm. And they, when she went back to her home, she was there on a VBS as one of the workers. Uh, she went back home and they, they re-X-rayed her arm. There were three different responses from the three different doctors. One said, that's a miracle of God. I've never seen anything like that. It's a new arm. Another one said, I don't know how to explain that. The third one said, we must have got the x-rays mixed up because that's not the same arm as the other one. But God did something that none of us expected. Yeah? Revelation, relationship, representation. Let's just do one last miracle before we get going. Let's look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. 
They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village. It's important for Jesus that people who are just there to kind of gawk rather than celebrate what it is that God's doing, they're as kind of spiritual voyeurs rather than participants in the kingdom, that he, he kind of gets the, the people away from those folks. But do you notice that Jesus prays twice for the person? Isn't that interesting? And yet we find it so difficult, don't we, when we have to pray more than once. Here's my commitment to you as friends. New friends, but friends nevertheless. This is my commitment. If you ask me to pray for you, this is what my assumption is. I'm going to keep on praying for you until one of three things happens. You get healed, you go to heaven, or Jesus returns. That's it. Our task is not to say when to stop. Our task is to be workers of the kingdom and to continue. I cannot tell you how many times we have prayed for people constantly and there's nothing happening and then suddenly it all happens. How many times? And so we continue. That's what the, the, the parables about the kingdom being delayed are all about. Be persevering. And persevere until one of three things happens. The person is healed. They go to heaven when they get a hero's welcome, incidentally. Or Jesus returns and all things are made new. All right. So um, let's have a go then. We've got a few minutes. Um, just two or three people. Could you just put your hands up if there's a person here who would like someone to pray with them for the sickness that they're, that they're wrestling with right now. Stephen, good. Uh, what was your name again, sir? Bob. Tom. Tom. Bad hearing, you'll have to pray for it later. Um, <laughs> so Tom and Stephen. Yep, your name, sir? Kent, and um, anybody on this side, or is this all healed over this side? Okay. Jackie. Jackie. All right, so if you could just come up, and two of you get on over, the, over here, so Stephen and Kent over here, and then Tom and Jackie over here. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do any more organisation than this, but the people upstairs are going to have to start moving now if you want to get involved in this. So we need three or four people around each of these folks. Okay, come on, let's go. Come on, there you go, that's it. it. It suddenly becomes an avalanche and then we've got too many people very often, so that's probably about enough now, that's probably enough moving. And uh, yes, you can keep on coming from up there. Great. 
Great, great, great. We can get a couple of more people around Jackie over if you want. Kim, there you go. All right. All right, so those of you who are being prayed for, you don't have to do anything. Often it's good to close your eyes because it's kind of distracting looking at the people praying for you. But the people who are praying, here's something that I would recommend. Don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Because you don't know what's going on in the person. You know, you might notice that they smile and you think, wait a minute, what are they smiling at? Well, it may be gas. (laughs) Or it... Or it could be that they're sensing God do something and you wouldn't have known that if your eyes were closed. Do you see what I mean? And sometimes there are some reactions to the power of the Holy Spirit that's worth kind of registering. Does that make sense? Okay, um, we've got like six people over there. Why don't we get one of you guys to come and be around Stephen? We've got three and three. Yeah, so there we go, that's better. Yeah, good. Sorry about that. No, it's my fault. Okay, so person prayed for, just close your eyes. Often I use my body, if someone's praying for me, to indicate to the Father that I'm ready to receive the bread of healing. So I just, I just open my hands to receive. It just kind of gives me a, a mental picture. Okay, so let's just do that. Just close your eyes, you guys who have been prayed for. Just get yourself ready. And those of you who are around them, I really recommend that you don't put your hand on their head. It, it's a kind of a weird thing. It, it, it feels like you're kind of asserting authority over the person. And it, that may be appropriate on some occasions, but, but mostly, just sensitively and appropriately, reach out your hand and lay your hand on them. Now, obviously, if the, if the person is wearing clothes that mean that there's a lot of skin, you may have to work that all out with them. Because uh, bare shoulders and all that, you have to work that out, you know, and you start to ask them if that's all right kind of thing. If not, then just do the kind of the hover thing where you're close to where it is and hope that they can feel the breath on them. Okay, so let's just, let's just do that. This sweet lady here, what's your name? Kim. Kim? It's lovely to have you here, Kim. Let's gather around her. Good. Okay, so those of you who are praying... What you're doing now is you're simply asking the Father, one of you in the group, simply ask the Father to reveal his kingdom right now. Just one of you in the group, just pray for them. Reveal your kingdom, Lord. And you keep praying, I'll just, I'll just explain what this is. Revealing the kingdom means revealing the king. And revealing the king means revealing the father in his heart. And this is the truth. The father wants his children well. He wants his children well. It's just a matter of when. Because one day we're going to be completely healed. And so we're asking him to do it now and to encourage us along the way. That's all we're doing. So ask God, ask God to reveal his kingdom right now. And then as you stand there, you're representing him. So now pray as a representative of Jesus and speak to the sickness, 
tell it to leave if that's the way that you feel representation works for you. Or as Jesus is speaking to the Father, ask the Father to heal them, but speak it out loud so that they know. Just say it out loud now so that Kent can hear and Stephen can hear, Tom can hear, Kim can hear, Jackie can hear. That's right. Thank you, Lord. That's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Now, what we're going to do, the Lord is touching these sweet believers here. You can see that. It's delightful. There's wonderful kind of symbols of his presence, peace on the people, a little tremble, maybe a tear here or there. But God is doing wonderful things. And so it sometimes feels strange to break in on this, but I think it's really appropriate to ask the person what's happening. Just like Jesus said, what's happening? And he said, well, I see people, but they're like trees walking. Just ask Jackie and Kim, just if there's something happening in you that, and maybe, maybe the pain was there and it's kind of now down at an eight instead of a 10, we'll tell the people that are praying for you that that's what's happening. Yeah? Just give them a sense of what's going on. Maybe the pain is receding. Maybe it's exactly the same as it was, but you're just sensing the presence of the Lord, and that's fine too. <laughs> that's it. We've got plenty of supplies of those. That's great. Bless you. Okay, and then what you're going to do is pray for them one more time. Just pray for them again. You've heard what they've said. Just go through the process again. Go back round the triangle. Revelation of the kingdom. Represent the king. Just drawing near, Lord. Just drawing near, Lord. pray that you'd come and fight against you fight against this sickness Lord come with your warrior spirit Lord thank you Jesus thank you Jesus now there's wonderful things going on and it's just delightful to see what the Lord's doing We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Lord, we're so grateful that you would be good enough, Lord, to include us in your ministry. Lord, we know that you could have done it in lots of different ways. But you have decided, Lord, that we, your disciples, should do the things that you did. Lord, I pray for every warrior this morning that is struggling with sickness, that they would be encouraged today.
I pray, Lord, for every warrior today who is praying for others who are suffering, who are sick or who are in need, that, Lord, you would encourage them today. And Lord, we will be quick to give you the glory because we know, Lord, that this is your work and not ours. And all God's people said,